So welcome everybody to today's episode of the Independent Teacher Podcast. And I'm really pleased to be joined by Dr. Marnie Ginsberg. It's a treat to be here with you, Susan. So are you able to just tell our listeners where you are at the moment, where you're Mm -hmm. based? Well, now I live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Been here for about a year and a half after being in Wisconsin for 10 years. But I'm a Southern girl, Southern U.S. girl. So if we just start, can you say a little bit about your current role? And I know we're going to be talking about developing pupil reading skills, but just say a little bit about about how you got into that. Well, right now I'm the founder of a business called Reading Simplified, in which we try to present a streamlined approach to teaching reading for any teacher or even parent, grandparent. We've had grandparents during covid um, to teach a beginning reader or a struggling reader um, how to quickly access the print on the page so they can make meaning and read widely and enjoy reading. And I've been doing this work at, in sort of the business model for about seven years, but it's been um, over 20 years that of work kind of in the same direction that was triggered when I was a middle school language arts teacher and my sixth grade kids actually couldn't read. They couldn't read well. On average, they were reading about the fourth grade level. So they were two years behind. I had some kids that were in second grade levels, first grade level, and I didn't know what to do about that. And I looked high and low for solutions and it was very confusing. And I was surprised that I had gotten a master's and I had these kids that I wasn't prepared to teach. (laughs) And then I discovered, oh, that's actually um, more the norm than not. A lot of teachers, especially in the last years, have been, you know, kind of admitting and or pointing the finger um, at their university that they, they haven't been well prepared to teach reading. And many of our kids are struggling with reading. In fact, in the U.S., 65% of fourth graders are not proficient over 65%. So that was a big deal in my career and really changed when I found a solution, I really changed my trajectory. I was originally interested in building readers motivation and wide reading and um, vocabulary knowledge. And those things are still really cool. But I got obsessed about what is the fastest way that we can teach anyone how to read? And why is it that so many people don't know this information? And why do you think young people were struggling so much with reading? It's complex, but there is one fairly easy um, place to lay a lot of the blame. People who are influential in how to teach reading have been debating how we teach reading. And um, a belief has um, gripped many people's mind that started in, well, kind of didn't start in the 60s per se, but it got a lot of attention and a new voice in the 60s and never was dropped, even though hundreds and thousands of scientific papers have now demonstrated that this idea about how we learn to read, that it's natural and that kids can learn by looking at the picture or following a pattern or making a guess based on the first letter, all certain things that were more holistic, whole language, whole word. Those approaches, um, we didn't know originally, but we now roundly know that that's not true and those aren't effective. And yet that's what makes up most of the reading instruction in most English speaking countries. Now I know England is a little different, rather a little bit of a, a unicorn in uh, across the world for English speaking okay. countries. They've made a change away from this approach. But most countries, particularly I know very well in the U.S., we're still 
entrenched in these theories that are, that have been debunked. And so it's super inefficient for many, many kids. Now, some kids will learn to read no matter what you do. Some kids will figure it out eventually, but more than half of our kids are unnecessarily struggling because of a curricular choice. So the good news is that we can change that. And there is a movement to change it. Um, like any movement, there's a lot of different directions it can go, but there's a science of reading movement where people are saying, hey, what we've been doing in these programs that are making up most of our curricular approaches, in the, particularly in the US, but also Australia, Canada, they're not in alignment with what research says about how the brain learns to read. So we need to make a change. And so this is getting some legs. Um, the, the podcast and the documentaries of Emily Hanford have made a huge difference in this. Um, parent groups in the U.S. Un, under the umbrella organization Decoding Dyslexia have made a big changes. And so now we're seeing in the U.S. some states that are saying, oh, you can't use that that idea that sounded good, but it's really been debunked, um, often labeled three queuing. You cannot use that anymore. Like um, it's in the legislation for Arkansas and other states are um, setting, you know, some guidelines for what gets in to the state's curriculum, which is actually new in the U.S. We're such a you know, Wild West kind of country with our curriculum. Everybody gets to do what they want, but now there's starting to be a movement to have more and more control. And some of that could be good because we're getting rid of some of these false ideas. Um, so things are changing, but there's also still ongoing debate and um, we continually need to learn more of the, learn more of what is contemporary science and not just kind of settle back into, well, it's either whole word, whole language, or phonics. Um, we actually know now that reading is more compl complex than just that. Kids don't just need phonics, super important, don't get me wrong, but there's more sophistication that we've learned in the last 50 years. So programs that are based on a model that are that predates the, the science that's really robust since the 60s, 70s, and 80s, um, those programs are not going to get as good of results as um, things that are really based in contemporary science. So it's there, there are things that are um, moving and I'm excited. I've been enjoying part being part of this change. Uh, but I think the back to the original question, yeah, it's complex. There's a lot of moving parts, but one of the things is just the curriculum and that needs to change. And it is exciting how England has done that. I know, again, there are probably areas of improvement that could be made, but you have seen changes in scores as a result, um, I think. So we need to we need to take note of that in other countries and um, also continue to improve to make sure we're in alignment with the science. I know America does seem very, 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 very different um, in <laughs> terms of the culture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, having something come down from the top is very much resisted here. Um, and, but there's always going to be that tension between um, guidance, structure, and autonomy, flexibility. And so the guidance, the structure, ideally, it would be really based in wisdom and the reality of teachers' lives and probably have a room, that wiggle room for the flexibility. And sometimes that's just really hard for large organizations to pull off. 
So tell me about Reading Simplified, because this sounds absolutely brilliant. And I, I certainly wanted our listeners to find out more about it and 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 hear about it from, from, from you, Marnie. Thank you. Well, what I experienced as that classroom teacher in my younger self in the 90s, um, being frustrated about not knowing what to do and then having to search high and low and taking a long time actually to find solutions. And that experience has shaped what I've tried to provide to others. So with reading simplified, you know, teachers are in the classroom right now. Yes, they were told um, at the university and maybe even their curriculum is telling them some things that now they are realizing is not true about how the brain learns to read, but what are they supposed to do tomorrow? How are they going to upskill, so to speak, on the job? Um, They don't have time to get a master's in linguistics or a master's in reading. What is, what, so what are they to do? So we've developed the Reading Simplified Academy, which is a subscription um, professional learning opportunity that includes a main course to learn our Reading Simplified system. So it's a streamlined system. Uh, I just thought last night um, about how just three components make up our small group or one-on-one lesson plan, rereading for fluency, word work, and guided oral reading. Those three things and a handful of word work activities that are very efficient and integrate multiple reading skills. That framework is simplified. There's not a thousand things you could choose to do. And then um, we teach that framework and how to teach kids diagnostically so you really meet their needs. In, in an about an eight to 10 hour video course that k- teachers can watch at their own pace. We also provide them resources like word lists or reading material that would be differentiated based on their kids' reading level. So some ki- people might go through the Reading Simplified Academy and have kindergartners or first graders that they're concerned about. Some others may be like I was, have middle school students that are reading at the fourth or fifth grade level. And then so that we would have resources for them. Along the way, we're also providing coaching. So through an uh, online discussion board, we really encourage, it's actually encourage people to participate. It's part of the course after each lesson learned, you go reflect on it. That of course, we're there also for questions because we know that professional learning is better when it is embedded with what you're really doing in, in, in context of how your students are doing. And that. Um, is what we've tried to package into the Reading Simplified Academy. And we've seen um, over 10,000 people go through it and get really outstanding results all over the world. And this has been very encouraging to me. I kind of, I started it because I I was kind of fed up with how the, the, <laughs> the things I had tried before didn't really have an impact. Is there a link between socioeconomic backgrounds and the ability to read effectively? Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. it is strong. Um, it's particularly glaring in the U.S. that it, if you're in a community that has higher resources, you're going to get a better education. There's a very strong correlation between what school you go to, the economics of the school you go to, and it's complex what that and what all that entails. It's access to the library. It's access to resources. Um, it is health benefits, even prenatal. It's language access. We know that there's a wide variation in the number of words simply that kids hear before they even hit the first year, day of school. But what's also telling is that when we do give evidence-based instruction, almost everybody learns to read. Researchers have demonstrated this. A couple different research teams have demonstrated this a couple times. 
They pulled kids who are struggling from all economic levels and they're really struggling and they work with them intensely. And guess what? The, they shrink the level of failure, so-called failure down to 2%, 5%. So we're sitting here at the US at 65% or more failure and researchers are showing us it could be maybe two, three, four, five. Can, it kind of depends on the level of what you consider failure, but um, yeah, we can make a big difference. And poverty is a contributing factor but we should be very wary to blame it for the curricular mistakes that we've been making. And the other side of it, of course, Molly as well, is making reading fun mm. and inspirational. And I just wondered if you could share some, some of your ideas on that as well. Well, the most important one is not original, but it, I think it doesn't get enough press even to this day. And that is to read aloud. I uh, would love all parents to be able to read aloud more to their children, even when they're older, even when they can read and all classroom teachers to read aloud to their students. Again, even when they're older and when they can read, I read aloud to my middle school students every, almost every day. And they covered through a lot of books that they wouldn't have been able to read themselves. And I guided them and, you know, with my interpretation and my inflection, I think they got more out of it than they would have if they were on their own. Remember, they were mostly struggling readers. So we know so much about the, the affective benefits of reading aloud. There's also the rich vocabulary knowledge, um, ling the linguistic complexity of books. Even ch simple children's books have more rare words than adult college educated dialogue. So the, the reading aloud of books to kids is priceless. I think it helps them understand why a person would find reading joyful. It can give them the experience of really being hooked by a story that maybe they haven't had that experience, whether they have just not come from that kind of family that has read with them, or maybe they're struggling with their reading. Also with um, culture changing so rapidly and devices being such a ubiquitous part of our children's upbringing, there's going to be, there has been, and there will continue to be a harder job for us as parents and teachers to reveal to kids how much power and delight there is in the book because it, the book takes a little bit more effort than a TikTok that changes every three seconds, right? And so loving reading, I think, is a learned accomplishment. And so that's one avenue in which we can really make a big difference. The second most important thing, and this has been a hallmark of my career, is we should be giving kids fast access to how to decode so that they, and then we should be coaching them and how to read words a lot early on. So they're successful early on. So they realize, oh, this is fun. I'm going to go do more of it because the kids who read widely um, early on are the kids who do well in reading. Those are the kids that do well in school. Those are the kids that do well in life. Obviously, it's not a one-to-one, -one, but those are generalizations. And uh, Keith Stanovich is made very popular with his Matthew effects concept that, you know, the rich get richer. But he's pointing out it starts in first grade. And by the end of first grade, there's some data to suggest it's, this, the, you know, the train has left the station. It's over. If we haven't caught a kid in being successful with cracking the code and reading enough that they're starting to get into real books like Frog and Toad or Little Bear or Messy Bessie, then they're going to struggle. Nine out of 10 of them will struggle. Now, this is not because of some developmental problem. It's just the way the system runs, the school system by and large. Anyone can come in and interject and make a change. As I mentioned earlier, those researchers are making changes as, as a private tutor over the years. That's what I've been doing. Um, but it's not, not, not currently part of our system. 
um, in most English speaking countries. So we've got to read aloud to them to give them access to rich um, vocabulary and background knowledge. So they are wise and they can be good readers themselves because being a good reader means you have to know stuff. And also we need to give them access early on to how the code works so that they can also take on the joy of reading and wide reading themselves. And then all of our history and science and art and music will be so much easier to teach and they'll be so much more effective at learning because the the lifting the words off the page and having sufficient background knowledge to comprehend the gist of what the new topic is will not be so daunting. So this work, if we could get it um, better in the early years, it would serve the child, the family, and all of us who teach kids at the upper grade level so much better than what our current system does. Yeah, I think one of the things that that I can remember when I was you know, very young was sitting beside my mom and my mom reading to me. And I remember she'd read the book and she'd turn the page and I'd look at the pictures, but her voice was just so lyrical and beautiful. And I think every time we got to the end of the book, my final words would be, can you read it again, please? <laughs> and that's that, you know, that's, that's what I remember. And I, I'm, I just love reading. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's always been, been the case. And I think, I can remember I, I went to school when I was five years old and I'd learned to read when I was about three or four. Wow. Um, but that was mainly because I had an older sister. So mm -hmm. when my mum wasn't sitting beside me reading, then my my sister would. Um, but it's just, as you say, something that happened to me very young um, stayed with me, you know, for, for, for the rest of the rest of my life. And, um, you know, I just 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 love love reading. So. Well, you had, sounds like you had the two ingredients I'm talking about, not only somebody reading aloud to you, but somebody probably listened to you read mm -hmm. and coach you on little errors yeah. here or there. And you can learn so much from that. And, and we're not finding a lot of time to listen to kids reading, uh, at least in the U.S. right now. And if we just change that one variable, we might be surprised by how much um, the achievement would go up because in those early years, they can um, learn so much from little bits of feedback here and there learn. They're not just learning that one word, like that the OU and about, um, says Al, they're actually learning something that can serve them in more than that one word. And it's a generative process. So that's one of the things that we, that we kind of inculcate in all of our reading simplified, um, trainings and in our system is like, how can we build the system to make opportunities to, to create more opportunities for kids to read aloud with guidance from the teacher. You touched on digital devices. Mm -hmm. I wondered if you had any views about reading on digital devices compared to reading a paper copy of mm -hmm. a book. And I'm thinking in particular of, you know, Marianne Wolf's book, Reader Come Home, and some of the comments um, that, that she raised quite a long time ago now, I think it was in 2016, about the mm. brain and the activity of the brain and reading as a digital learner, as a reader of paper copies of books. Do you have any views on, on that? Well, uh, that's not my area of expertise, but it's really important. These <laughs> tricky devices um, have definitely impacted all of our brains and they're impacting our young people's brains the most. And that's going to be to, in some ways for the better, but in some ways it's definitely for the detriment of higher cognitive thinking. Um, we just can't, you know, process as much information and, and um, attention span is plummeting for adults and children. So these are all 
elements of our cognition that are going to impact our reading ability. So we have to be wary. And I think the thing that we should be most wary about is less about whether the child is reading on a digital device versus a print copy. And the issue is really what are they doing on that digital device? They're probably not reading. <laughs> like if you've got a kid reading on a digital device, you're you're a step ahead of most of the rest of us because what they're doing is maybe looking at something they're supposed to read and then they're flipping over to TikTok or Instagram or messaging their friends and they're bouncing like a squirrel through a cycle that is very detrimental to their mental health, but also to the ability to read. So um, it's very concerning to me, for instance, that schools, middle schools and high schools let kids take their phone to um, just to class. So I encourage people to read like... Um, Gene Twenge's um, book, iGen, about this most recent generation and how devastating the digital, being just growing up digital as a digital native, um, how devastating it has been on mental health. And that all does affect reading, you know. Um, but some of the, as far as the, like if you or I, or just take a kid who already knows how to read and, and there's some research to say, sometimes it doesn't really matter whether it's digital or, or print. Um, there's some advantages to digital if you're learning to read, or even, you know, as if we're a sophisticated reader, we might look up a word and, and there may be some multimedia tools that the digital form provides that can be super helpful for certain kids in certain contexts. Um, but I think we've all realized that when we're reading on a digital device, we also get distracted and we bounce around. And I think Marianne Wolf makes this point really well. There is a deep focus that we bring to the task in reading a printed book where we carry the author's reasoning with us for many pages and many minutes and maybe even hours that is harder and harder for us to achieve when we're on the digital platform. It's certainly possible with a Kindle with maybe no other apps on it, but it's just become this. There's just so much distraction on a device. It's harder for us just to sustain attention. Our, our thinking is going to be less deep because of the digital life that we live. In fact, it's, it's probably not just whether we're choosing to read a paper book versus digital, but even now, if I pick up a paper copy, my brain is not as swift as it was 10 years ago. And I might not have this, how, how many of you have noticed you don't read for as long? You might get up to go check your Facebook <laughs> or the things that, yeah. you know, so these are real things that um, um, are changing our brain because reading is um, just a, a cultural accomplishment that we've tacked on these neural pathways onto our brain through practice. And the way we're, we're having this practice now is very different. So we certainly, certainly should be wary of it. But at the same time, I, as a tutor, particularly I'm, you know, I'm, I'm able to have more attention to what individual kids need. And so I, I use a digital device all the time to get them the extra practice for say, if they're learning the O sound, O is in uh, the O in go and the O in boat, the O in show and toe and note. I'm teaching them with building and reading and writing words and reading these on paper. And then they're kind of getting tired. So I'm going to put them on an app and play a game. They're going to have high enthusiasm because it's an app and it's a game and I'll get more practice out of them. And if I have an older struggling reader who I'm finally teaching them how to decode because they missed that instructional window in kindergarten and first grade, I'm teaching them how to decode. It's a lot of work though. And so, you know, if I want to squeeze in a lot of, a uh, lot more exposure to the print, um, 
without making them really tired. I might let them listen to a book that's going to be motivating for them. It's going to um, give them a lot of exposure to words that they wouldn't be able to read on their own at the same amount of time. So those are just two examples of contexts in which I, I'm very um, quick to, to turn to a digital device to be a helpful scaffold. But um, we also should be really wary about them. And I think the the reading is less, the, the problems with the reading is less the issue than just how they're consuming our lives and mm. changing our brain that way. I just want to end by focusing on you, Marnie. As a reader, can you give our listeners an indication of what you are currently reading now for pleasure? Well, I think I need like some sort of book whisperer consultation or something, you know. <laughs> I'm, I would have said, you know, most of my life, I'm an avid reader. That's why I went into this field. I loved to read as a kid and I wanted other kids to see, to enjoy the benefits of that. But um, my training is is an education. I've been trying to build a business. So all of my reading is like how to build a business, how to market, how, and, or now what's the latest with reading. So my pleasure reading has been shrinking and I, and I need to change that. I did read a Louise Penny um, book over the holidays. I've always been a big um, mystery fan. I'm also reading a, an education book about cognitive, <laughs> cognitive load theory. <laughs> But I like mysteries. I like fantasy. But I also, like I said, I need a book whisperer to try to draw me back in. And I do think I do think my personal experience is in alignment with what I was saying earlier. Like I'm doing an online business. Like I am always on the computer bouncing from one app to another. And my attention isn't as good as it used to be. So I'm going to take you back even further. Mm -hmm. When you were younger, you said you read a lot. Was there a book? Or a series of books that maybe changed your life? Well, um, I had a mom who took me to the library who read me, read a lot of books to me. And so that was such a, what an impact, you know, and I'll never really know where, where that impact um, begins or ends fully. And I, so I loved reading early on, but I don't think I was a quick, uh, I mean, I didn't learn to read as early as you. I, I was doing fine in first and second grade, but I don't think I was a voracious reader until around third or fourth grade. And I got into Nancy Drew and read all the Nancy Drew in my elementary library. Uh, then I went from Nancy Drew into Agatha Christie. Um, and that is what, those things really cut my teeth, so to speak. Like I became really quite fluent and realized I love to read and got good at it. And so then when I had to do things for school reading, it was easy because I had the, you know, again, lifting the words off the page was never a, a, a deal for me. And so that was what got me started. So I got to give a lot of credit to those series. Marnie, can I say thank you so much for, for joining us today? It's been absolutely fascinating. And hearing about the United States, hearing about Reading Simplified, hearing about all the work you're doing, and obviously staying positive as well. I think that's <laughs> that's come out of our conversation. So oh, can good. I say thank you so much for joining us today? Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for all the good questions, Susan. Thank you. You have been listening to the Independent Teacher Podcast. If you like listening to this podcast, please consider giving us a five-star rating either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.